The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Support for this show comes from the world-famous annual International Yoga Festival in Rishikesh, India. Deepen your practice, explore your soul, and expand your consciousness in the lap of the Himalayas, the birthplace of yoga with yogis from around the world. Learn more at internationalyogafestival.org. From Spirituality and Health magazine, this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today is Cheryl Richardson, a New York Times bestselling author whose new book, Waking Up in Winter, In Search of What Really Matters at Midlife, has just been released. She's past president of the International Coach Federation. Her work's been featured widely in the media, including Good Morning America, The Today Show, CBS This Morning, New York Times, USA Today, Good Housekeeping, and O Magazine. Almatasi interviewed Cheryl in the November-December issue of Spirituality and Health magazine, and we have the pleasure to take that a little bit deeper. So Cheryl Richardson, welcome to Essential Conversations. Oh, it's our pleasure. I have the book in front of me, and it's really fascinating. I mean, I've read a lot of books about midlife. I mean, I'm past midlife. I looked up online to see when midlife stopped, and it stopped for me a little over a year, well, almost two years ago. So I'm old life, I guess. I'm end life. I'm, I'm on, the, I've got one foot out the door. So, <laughs> so, so, um, but I, I've read a lot of these books and yours has a, I don't know, poetic quality to it. It's, it's not this heavy, this is what's happening to you and you're going to have to deal with it. it it's much lighter, no less informative but much more engaging. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. So let's start with this notion of, of midlife. Um, did someone just make that up? I mean, I, I always think that somebody just said, because life span changes. Is that a real thing? Is it biological? Or is someone make it up and then drove us crazy around the idea? <laughs> well, it's a good question. I mean, you know, once I reached 50, I mean, I'll be honest and say to you that I've never really had a problem with aging. Um, I find that because the inner adventure has always been the most exciting and captivating adventure for me doing, you know, uh, cultivating a connection to my inner life, I find that every year that passes, my life feels richer and deeper and more satisfying. And so I never really thought a lot about getting older. And then I turned 50. And there was something magical about 
that number. Um, and as I write in the book, you know, I, I, I write about that morning, the morning of my 50th birthday when I was in the gym on the elliptical trainer. And it hit me that, wow, there's a really good chance I have more years behind me than ahead of me, more at least good quality years behind me than ahead of me. And um, it really kind of threw me into this existential questioning about, uh, am I really happy with my life? Have I done the things that I want to do? You know, the old bucket list question. I was never somebody who created a bucket list. It really wasn't that important to me. I felt like if, if I wanted to do something, I did it in my life. But suddenly I was like, wow, if I were to die tomorrow, what would I regret not having done? And or who would I regret not having become? And so I think that I think there is something about 50. Now, by the time I got to the end of this book, this book is a journal. So it it captures this a period in my life that really was kind of a, a reckoning period, a re-evaluation period that was instigated by turning 50. But you know, by the time I got to the end, I realized that as life as our life expectancy expands in a lot of ways i i was in the third stage of life you know you might be in the third stage of life we don't know right um and yet i just found that i had to it was really important to me to face the reality of my mortality of the fragility of life and the fact that i wasn't going to be here forever and so that i i was happy to call that midlife a midlife reckoning if you will so, I, I mean, I get that at some point, and it's a different point for different people, just physiologically, things can start to break down. But you're really talking, if I'm following this, much more spiritually, even more spiritually than you might say psychologically, in, in the sense that um, you have a number in your head, so, you know, you hit 50, and so that's midlife, so maybe you're thinking about living to 80 or 90 or whatever it might be. And the question that that brings up, maybe because you have more years behind you than in front of you, the question it brings up is really quality issues. Um, not what I was struck with was not happiness. You know, this is not a happiness therapy book. This is, this is, in fact, I mean, you didn't mention it, but I've, I've got it in front of me. So uh, this is not a bucket list. I mean, what you wrote, and I'm just going to mention two of these things because I want you to talk about them a little bit more. One is that you, um, you know, what, what you'd like to accomplish before you die, to live more peacefully in my body. I, I, I thought that was really interesting. So I'm going to have you expand that. And the other one is make beauty and nature, but I want to talk about beauty, make beauty more of a priority in my everyday life. So talk a little bit about the first one, uh, live peacefully in my body. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I want to agree with you that it really is a spiritual conversation. I don't think we talk about death enough in our culture. We avoid it. And I'm not somebody who avoids it. I am somebody who pretty much asks myself on a regular basis, if I were to die today, would I be happy with how I spent my day? Or if I were to die today, would I be happy with how I spent the last week or the last year? I think that's an important question that we need to contemplate on a regular basis, if anything, to make us more present in our life. And it is a spiritual conversation because I think the older we get and the more willing we are to face the reality that we've got a limited time here on the planet, the more we're confronted with who are we really? You know, I am a soul in a physical body. That's what I choose to believe. And 
Uh, and that becomes more and more apparent to me the older I get. And so when I thought about, well, what would I regret not having done or not having become if I were to, if my life were to end, I was surprised. You know, the first thing that came to me as a woman, I'll say, is to live peacefully in my body. I realized that so much, the first half of my life has been spent never feeling, uh, feeling strong sometimes, not other times, never feeling appropriately sized, right? Never feeling thin enough or even, or, or just always feeling like I was at odds with my body. Maybe there were periods where I wasn't, I was in great shape. I felt good. So it was just this. And then there were other periods where I wasn't in great shape. And I write about those, um, as well, uh, you know, at, in this particular journal, going through a period where I just didn't feel good in my body. And I think really what I was saying was, um, you know, this is my sacred vessel while I'm here. And, and I don't know, maybe it's a male thing too, but as a woman, I can just say that so much of my life has been spent sometimes at war with my body, at the very least in conflict with my body. And I just wanted to feel at peace. And I wasn't sure what that meant. I didn't want it to mean a particular weight. I just wanted it to mean, wow, like, how can I build a relationship with this vessel, this temple, this, this body that has carried me through life so that I'm appreciative of it and I value it and I respect it and I honor it instead of being at odds with it. So that was one of the important things. Yeah. So I want to pick up on, a, on something you said with that. I mean, first of all, I don't know if it's a, just a woman thing. I mean, I, I've been at odds with my body forever. Um, but... <laughs> And if I were being interviewed, I could go into all the things and it would be much cheaper than therapy just to tell you all about it. But, but I won't do that. So, so I, I, I understand this discomfort with the, the physical body, but you're making it clear, and I want to know how far you want to go with this, that you're in the body. The, you, you know, this is your sacred vessel, you called it. Um, you make a distinction between what body and soul. I mean, you you believe that there's that Cheryl transcends the body when the body dies. Cheryl continues. Yeah, I mean, so I think of my soul as I think of myself as a soul that animates this body, this physical presence here on the planet, and my soul, my consciousness, my sort of higher consciousness, if you will. When my body goes, that consciousness lives on. I believe very much in energy, in the reality that our consciousness is something higher and um, uh, is the essence of who we are. And that essence, that the consciousness lives on after the body. But while I'm here, in the you know, in the meantime, while I am here in this um, this incarnation, incarnation, if you will, I'd like to be at peace with my, I'd like to not be distracted. You know, Rabbi, I think that's really what I'm saying is I don't want to be distracted by, uh, the, any conflict that I feel about the body, my body. I would rather be present to my life without that being a distraction. And I'd like to feel at peace being in my body. I think a lot of people would probably feel that way. So if, and again, I may be overstating this, but so, so body is one issue. Beauty is the other. When I think of beauty, I think more of soul than physicality. So um, being at peace in your body is, I'm, I'm, I'm asking, is this like one side of a coin and the other side can be this, this beauty piece? 
No, I think I see them as two completely different things. You do? So, okay. Yeah. So one thing is just really as a woman feeling at peace in my body. Um, beauty is a whole other conversation, one that's deeply important to me. I think of beauty as a vital, nourishing, spiritual energy. And while, and it can be, it's something that's deeply important to me. It's something I value. And that beauty can be the beauty of, a, you know, sort of traditional thoughts, like the beauty of a sunset. It can be the beauty of a snowfall, the beauty of birds at the feeder, um, the beauty of the love I feel when I look into my husband's eyes and we have a moment of just true seeing one another in intimacy. It could be the beauty of, I think about, you know, recently I had to put my cat to sleep, which was heartbreaking for me. It was a, my first experience doing that as an adult woman, my husband and I, and the beauty of holding this little being that was so deeply important to me and had such an impact on my life. But the beauty of holding this little being as his life ended was also extraordinary. So to me, beauty is really, um, it's an interesting conversation. It's like an ongoing ever evolving conversation for me. Um, and the beauty of deep conversation with somebody, right? I, the older I get, the less patience I have for the cocktail level of life. I'd prefer to either be alone or to have deeper conversations with people that feel nourishing and beautiful and, um, and, uh, heartfelt and authentic. And to me, beauty is all of those things. Discover a new relationship and approach to life through the space between. Join spiritual teacher Brittany Mondito for a moment of silence, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York. Everything we're searching for lies behind what we're running from, Brittany says. Reconnect with your inner sense of safety, grounding, and centeredness. Learn more today at eomega.org thrive. Okay, so I, I follow this, and that's actually what I was trying to articulate. <laughs> Obviously, I failed to do it. But I, I think I just want to have you underscore this notion, talking about your cat, and, and now taking it a little bit broader, that death can be beautiful. It can bring, be, be, yeah, can, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, so as, I think because I'm somebody that's not afraid of death, life often brings me opportunities to have that experience. When I was young, I was in my, I think, late 20s, early 30s, I had my first direct experience with death in that I was taking care of an elderly woman who had no family. She was from Springfield, interestingly enough, Springfield, Mass. And because um, we talked about Springfield before right, we went on this podcast. That's where I'm from, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, she, so she had no family. And she basically said to me, one day I was, I had been a bit of a caretaker for her. She had been a client of mine um, early on. I had done some work for her. And she basically one day said to me, listen, I've been diagnosed with cancer. I've got about three months to live. And I'm wondering if you'd help me to get my affairs in order because I have no one else. And my first thought was no way. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I was a young woman. I had never seen death up close like that. And I thought there's no way in hell I can do this. And my second thought was, there's no way I could just leave her alone to contend with this on her own. You know, I was, I was um, a caretaker enough to think, oh, I can't, I couldn't live with the guilt of just leaving her alone. And instead, ultimately what she gave me was this extraordinary gift of, she was a very pragmatic, 
no-nonsense woman, talked about death, had no problem with it at all. And I went through this profound experience of essentially holding her hand through the process of getting her affairs in order, her illness in the hospital, caring for her as she reached the, you know, the end point of her life. And on the night that she died, I was called into the hospital by a very lovely, 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 wise nurse who said, I'm worried she's not going to make it through the night. And I drove an hour into the hospital and got there. And this nurse said to me, she appears to be unconscious, but um, I believe that she can hear you. This is many years ago. I believe that she can hear you. So talk to her. I had done a lot of reading of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's work because I was scared. And, um, and I sat there praying with her and started to just go over with her all of the things that um, I would take care of once she was gone. And all of a sudden, and she was unconscious, but all of a sudden she came to and she looked at me and, and she had this beautiful smile on her face and I was stunned. And then she took her last breath and that was it. And I stayed there with her body for probably a half an hour, scared at first. I was raised Catholic. I had never, you know, I'd never been with a, 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 a you know, the closest I'd been to a dead, you know, a, a dead body was at a wake, a Catholic wake. And um, I stayed there praying and, uh, and it was a profound life-changing experience. It was beautiful. It was extraordinarily beautiful. And because I stayed there, when I was done, um, I just, my fear of death had lessened greatly. And that would begin, honestly, this experience of being invited to, to the deathbed of several people after that. I feel like in some ways I must have opened myself up to that, that invitation because I was so unafraid and found it to be profound and sacred and beautiful. I'm sure you've had that experience yourself. It changes you on a cellular level. Oh, absolutely. I, without romanticizing death. I mean, yeah, I, it can be, it can be very beautiful. So w you talk in the book about your friend, Debbie, and it, it's a similar thing. I mean, you can tell us a little bit about her, but I want to uh, have you focus in the five minutes we have left or so on, you know, what she said to you when you saw her last, I'm just going to quote it so you don't have to remember it. But she said to you, uh, for God's sake, don't do anything that bores you. I know. Isn't that interesting it's, that she said uh, it, that? It was fantastic. So I have a bunch of questions about that, but tell us just briefly. Um, well, that was a profound experience. So Debbie Ford was this amazing writer and teacher, and she was a colleague and a dear friend of mine. We traveled in the same circles. We taught together. We did a few Oprah shows together. And here she was dying. And um, I there was a freak snowstorm at an event I was leading that allowed me to drive six hours through the desert to get to her house two days before she died. And I was able to be there with her in her deathbed. And it was so profound because I felt like I was given my own deathbed experience. She lit, led a similar life to mine. Um, and she was basically saying to me, Cheryl, you know what, right now, the number of best-selling books I have doesn't matter. The number of fans on Facebook could means nothing to me. My son is all that matters, the people that I love. And please, she said, take more vacations, you know, don't let this stuff be that important to you. And for God's sakes, don't do anything that bores you. And what I didn't put in the book was she went on to give me examples of things that she had been doing that bored her. And she was saying to me, don't do this. Don't do that. You know, don't spend your time with people who bore you. Don't spend your time at events that bore you. And and I did. I thought, what an 
what an unusual thing to say. Like I didn't expect it, but it spoke directly to me because I think at that point in my life, I was starting to get bored with some of the things that I was doing. I didn't feel engaged and challenged and, um, and I needed that. And so I'll never forget that. That was, that was the most profound thing she said to me. And it played a big part in the turning point of my life that this book reflects. Um, it was a very, very powerful experience. Yeah. Now, here's my question, because we're going to come up to the end of the show. And if I had to think of one thing that I really want to get out to people is, so how do I do this? I mean, you're a coach. You, you talk to a lot of people. How prevalent is boring? And, and how can people, I mean, without having to get to the end of life, how, how can, if there's one thing that you can do, what would you tell us to do to just don't, you know, what, 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 you know, Debbie said, don't do anything that bores you. I think just living with that inquiry is the first step. And um, I think some people are so incredibly busy in their life, they don't even know how bored they are. So just being able to say to yourself, just begin to, to question, you know, you're having dinner with somebody. Am I, how engaged am I here? Or am I bored? You're, at work, you ask yourself, how engaged, how present am I for this experience? How bored do I feel? Like, what are the things in my life that just bringing our awareness to that inquiry, I think is where pretty profound changes can happen in our lives. Am I, am I bored with my work? Am I, what relationship, am I bored with my relationships, my significant other, my family, my friends? Like, am I bored with where I live? Am I bored with my daily routine? Um, those are some of the questions I began to ask myself. And when you read the journey that I write about in Waking Up in Winter, what you see is a woman going through this transition of letting go of the things that are safe and familiar, but boring as hell, and beginning to bring new and interesting and different and challenging experiences into my life. And as a result, I get this deep, rich, fulfilling experience that doesn't make me so afraid of reaching the end of my life anymore. Mm. That's powerful. I, I, I would imagine that asking those questions around the, is this issue of boredom would be so difficult for most of us. I mean, we're, we live by obligation. There's so many, I got to do this and I have to, you know, family and work and whatever else people are doing. And, and, and to admit that oh, I'm bored with this person or I'm bored with this situation or this job or this whatever it happens to be. I would imagine m many, if not most people, just could not go there. Well, I think that the first, and I say this at one point in the book as well, is the first step is to just tell the truth about our lives. Don't worry about changing anything. You don't have to change anything. You just need to face the truth about what's working and what isn't, what bores you and what doesn't. Because I, trust me, if you just start to name the truth about what's going on in your life, just to become aware of where you feel engaged and where you're not engaged, life will present you with opportunities slowly, one step at a time, to make changes, I have no doubt. Well, then I will have no doubt either. <laughs> and we'll leave our listeners without doubt, which is another difficult thing to do, but... Okay, so this is our message for this for this podcast. No boring, no doubt. And we're going to have to have to end it right there. Our guest today was Cheryl Richardson. She is the author of the New York Times, she's a New York Times best-selling author and her new book is Waking Up in Winter: 
in search of what really matters at midlife. You can learn more about her work at CherylRichardson.com. Cheryl, this was really fascinating, and I very much appreciate your being on Essential Conversations. Thank you very much, Rabbi. I really enjoy talking with you as well. Well, thanks. Support for this show comes from the world-famous annual International Yoga Festival in Rishikesh, India. Deepen your practice, explore your soul, and expand your consciousness with yogis from around the world and do so in the lap of the Himalayas, the birthplace of yoga. Learn more at internationalyogafestival.org. Before we sign off, let me remind you that this year is the 20th anniversary of Spirituality and Health magazine. As part of our celebration, I'm leading an interspiritual tour of the Holy Land. This is part tour and part pilgrimage as we engage in contemplative practices linked to the various sites that we'll visit. Jewish, Christian, Muslim, and Baha'i. For more information, please visit us at spiritualityhealth.com slash holyland with Rami. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Please log into spiritualityhealth.com to subscribe to the magazine in print or digital formats and download the iTunes app for this podcast. While you're on iTunes or wherever you get this podcast, leave us a rating and a review. We can always learn how to do this show more effectively if we have input from those who care enough to listen. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker and our program coordinator and executive producer is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, And on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind, Body, Spirit FM podcast network or wherever you find your podcasts.